Hello and welcome back to the Human Interest Podcast and our first episode of 2019. Took a short break for an extended holiday, but now we are back for season two, bigger and better. To all my regular listeners, welcome back. And to my new listeners, welcome on board. Thank you so much for joining the family. The Human Interest Podcast for our new listeners is a weekly podcast where we get to hear stories about people, why they do what they do, and about life, successes, losses, challenges, and lessons. In our first story of the year, we talk about returning home. Just recently, I traveled to Ethiopia and felt lost in translation quite literally, from the in-flight announcements in Amharic to communicating with hotel staff when I eventually arrived. It was hectic. The relief I felt when after landing back home in Kenya, I heard a guy speaking Swahili saying, Dere dere rudinyuma, which uh, means driver, driver, move back, was the best feeling ever. Finally, I was home. And to think I had only been away for two days. So my name is Nicole Nyakong, South Sudanese. I'm 26 years old. 25, Nicole's story about returning home will make mine sound a little melodramatic. She tells a story about going home for the first time in 19 years. Nicole was born and raised in Kenya as a refugee and for the longest time, South Sudan was just a place she had heard about. A place her mother told her was home but which was foreign to her. She tells me about why she finally wanted so desperately to go home, how she wanted to leave soon after, and the struggle to eventually choose between the country she was born in and the country she belonged to. Here's Nicole Nyakong on the Human Interest Podcast. 2011, I was uh, 19 when the pilot announced that we have finally arrived. So I closed my eyes and I prayed to God, thanking him for bringing me safe. But they said later that the temperatures outside is 35 point something degrees Celsius. But I was wearing this short skirt and I had a big jacket on. So when I came out, like when they opened the plane and I wanted to come out, it was so hot. Like I had to go back inside. And the hair hostess laughed at me. And she asked me if it was my first time. And I told her, yes, that was my first time. And she said, this is Juba. Are you South Sudanese? I said, yeah. And then she said, this is your home. You need to embrace it. And I stood when she mentioned it. It's your home. You need to embrace it. And I went, I had to remove my heels because I wanted to feel the warmth of the floor, of the, the soil. I just wanted to, you know, that feeling of getting touched, you know, I just wanted to understand and feel. Well, it was hard, but it was my home. And I removed my jacket and looked around. It was not a very good home to say it's not beautiful like where I was coming from. But the thought of that, it's your home, you're free to do anything you want, you can scream if you like, you can, you know, it was really, really, really good. I felt really, really good. I was born in Kenya, and uh, I grew up 
along the border of between Kenya and, and, and South Sudan, Kapoita, there are people called Taposas. All along, I thought I was, my home was Kenya. And my mom had to like keep telling us that, don't get too comfortable because Kenya, of course, they accommodated us and you had your studies here and stuff, but South Sudan is your home. So, and I would always question like, how is it, how does it look like in South Sudan? Is it beautiful like Kenya? And they say, no, it's not that beautiful, but it's your home at the end of the day. So if you need to beautify it, you have to work for it. I came back to South Sudan in 2010, and it was a tug of war between my mom, my, my family, and myself, because they didn't want me to come. They wanted me to finish high school first before I come, but I insisted, you know. I was, I, because people were telling me how good South Sudan is. By then, they were forcing me to come, but I didn't have interest, because I was looking at, I'm sure South Sudan is very hard, there is no proper food. I was used to my television and my cartoon and stuff. But then when my friends came back from South Sudan and they told me, hey, South Sudan is beautiful, you need to come and see it. So I got curious. So after pushing back and forth with my family, my mom finally accepted. So they sent me a ticket and I was just like counting days. You know, it was towards Christmas, and I was counting days. So, and the day finally came, and I could, actually, I didn't even sleep that day. I would try to take a nap, and it's like, no, 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 maybe I might be late, because where I was staying in Nairobi by then was far. I was living in Githrai uh, 44, and I had to, like, if I use a bus, it was going to be late. So, I borrowed some money, you know, to to take a taxi to bring me to the airport and I was so early because I was supposed to be leaving at uh, the plane was supposed to be taken off at nine at nine and I was already there by 3 a.m that's how anxious I was just to be at the airport by that time and it was so cold and like I couldn't wait even to check in and you know when I came they took the there's a policeman there told me like I should wait my time wasn't uh, ready so I was like what if I miss my flight and they say madam relax where are you going I'm going back home where is home this is your home I told them no I'm a South Sudanese and I want to go back home so they say it's okay just go take some coffee but I didn't have money I didn't have anything you know so I just sat outside there in the cold but the cold and the, the whole stress didn't really affect me because I knew I was going home. As I checked in, my first time using the elevator was so crazy. I, I fumbled like I didn't even know what to do. And I was so scared like people were looking at me because that's my first time using such elevator. And it was crazy. But, yeah, but well, I checked in. I went up, uh, climbed, the, I, you know. Oh, when I now sat in the plane and it's that feeling of just knowing that you're going home you don't even know how that home look like but there's that feeling you know you just you know like you you're going home you know you're going home was if I could have water and I asked if that water was from River Nile 
and they gave me a bottle of Aquana water and they told me it was made from South Sudan. It's River Nile water. I wanted something home-baked, something homemade, you know, something that attached me, you know, like this, this was my first time coming back home and I just wanted something that connects me, that connects the spirit, you know, of being home. That's why I specifically asked for water and if it was from River Nile because I read a lot of stories about River Nile and then being reminded that it passed through South Sudan. And I was told I took water, like Aquana water was from, from made in South Sudan from River Nile. So I knew, I, was, I felt privileged. Yes. So I looked at it and I looked around and opened it, took the water. I, I, I wasn't so good at taking water, like even a glass of, uh, a glass, I could not even finish it. But I finished the whole bottle because I, I, it, I was so proud that I was taking something that was coming from my country. How was it seeing Juba for the first time? Well, um, like our, our area where we were staying with my family, was not fancy. It was not a very good, not good class. But then when we went to town, like what they call now the real town, there were so many big buildings around. It was looking at places I've never been to, you know, big hotels. Um, so like even they were actually using ACs because it was very hot. And I was even asking, are you people sure I am in Juba? And they told me, yes, why? I said, no, 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 this place doesn't look like Juba. It looks like Nairobi or maybe somewhere well-developed countries. And then they said, I think people have been telling you bad things about South Sudan. South Sudan actually is, uh, we, we are working, we are working really hard to put these things together. And actually that pushed me to come back, you know. Like I went and I finished one term when I went back to Kenya. I went and finished one term and I insisted I wanted to come back home because ah, you could sit and sip some nice sodas. I don't drink nice sodas and look around and you feel ACs were there, power was there, TV was there. You can just pick a remote and put in a channel. And I felt like, I, actually, my auntie gave me, um, rented me a room at two days in a, in a hotel and because she just wanted me to, to feel good, you know, to make me blend in and understand that Juba is not as bad as people say. Juba is really paradise. So I sat there and I was looking like a kawaja. You know, we call them the white people, we call them kawaja in South Sudan. <laughs> I was feeling like a kawaja. It was nice. Big bed, white sheets, beautiful scent. Things were really looking good and there was nice food. The chips there, the uh, chicken fried chicken you can just order and it was good beautiful <laughs> going home for nicole also meant that her status had to change her identity changed from that of a refugee to a south sudanese and i looked at my passport and i said damn it's reading here south sudanese not refugee and my father looked at me and laughed and you know i was i was because of my acting skill or something, I really don't know, I was just doing crazy stuff at the immigration. 
And my father asked, you're embarrassing yourself. What are you doing? So some of my uncles came and said, what is happening? I said, finally, I'm, not a, I'm no longer a refugee. You see, in my passport, it is reading, it's reading South Sudanese. And they say, now you should thank us for fighting very hard to give you that freedom. And I said, because I'm tired of people calling me a refugee in Kenya. Now, when they ask me, I will boldly say my name and say, I am a South Sudanese not a refugee. It was so overwhelming. I felt like there was something lifted off my shoulder. You know, you having to leave as a refugee. Like there were some places in Kenya when we go and not, not all Kenyans are racist or not all of them are that bad. But there were some that you will go and they said, they said in Kiswahili, Mtarudi kwenyu. And you're just a victim. You don't even know what really happened. You just found yourself in Kenya as a refugee. You are seeking asylum somewhere. And then somebody have to snatch something from you because and say it, don't talk. It's not your country. What will you do? Well, they, they, they push you and they tell you, what will you do about it? You know? And just looking and when I looked at my passport and I said, now I'll see who will push me down and say, what will you do? At least now I know justice will be served when I say I'm a South Sudanese citizen, you know. And when I went home with my dad, and I was telling mom, finally, mom, 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 I've been given a passport. He said, what is so funny with the passport? I said, you don't understand because you've been living. You, you'll go to Kenya for a month or a few weeks and come back home. But me, I've been in school. People call us refugees. Mom, do you know how bad it feels to be called a refugee? Somebody push you or, or snatch something away from you and still ask you what will you do about it? And then she said, are you happy? I said, I'm very happy. As a matter of fact, I want to go finish my studies and come back home and work. She said, but I thought you wanted to stay in Kenya. I said, yeah, I want it. But now that I came back home and I have a passport, no. I don't want to stay in Kenya anymore. I want to come back home and at least look for a job and, and work here. She's like, but I thought you were complaining about the weather. I told her the weather, mm, I'll get used to it. Well, if I want to really have another Nairobi in South Sudan, I have to work hard for it because that is their home. Now this is what I call mine. So I will create my little heaven. This was 2011. In 2015, another war broke out in South Sudan. Where were you at that time and how did this war affect you? Um, we, uh, my cousin was, we were planning for my cousin's wedding. And it happened in the afternoon that uh, my, I went to the salon to go do my hair. Then when I came back in the evening, my dad was not there and he left with my, with the, my room key. So he came back and he told me it was already late to go. So I was so sad, I went to bed so early. But you know, things happen for a reason. Probably if I had gone out for that wedding, and then because it was on the 15th of December, that that word broke out. And I was so annoyed at my father as to why he delayed when he knew very well I was going for a wedding. 
he had to come home at nine and tell me, it's already late, you can't go anywhere again. I was so angry. I cried and I went to bed. I went to sleep. At 11 p.m., someone was tapping my feet. And I thought it was a dream. But of course I could hear gunshots. And the whole place was quiet. But I thought it was a dream. Maybe, you know, there this, there's this uh, inter-community conflict between Boer and um, Boer people, Murle. So I thought it was just, maybe I was just dreaming or maybe I, because I, I had those thoughts in mind. But, so it tapped me again three times. And then I woke up. And then when I opened my eyes, it was my uncle. So like, what's going on? Why are you in my room? He said, there's a problem. Just hush. So I'm okay, what's happening? So he told me, can you hear their gunshots? I said, yes. Why? Then he said, because there's a fight. Who is fighting? And uh, Omar Bashir took his people. Who is fighting again? He said, uh, we've heard that uh, Dr. Riyak Mashar has rebelled, and now he's fighting his way out of Juba. How did that happen? He said, these are politics. So my father came in, and he was so full of, he was dressed. He had a big gun in his hand, and, and then he told me, because I was the only woman in the house, he, he told me to dress up because I was wearing my nightdress. He told me to dress up, look for a trouser, and put a trouser on. And when you see anything, don't scream and don't cry. Just be composed. So I'm like, okay. So you will see my uncle tiptoeing from, from one angle to angle. My father is busy talking on phone. And I could hear him say, I have seen people moving. He have seen them, you know? So like they were talking in a low tone. So I later, uh, an hour later, it was around, now we, we had to, you know, we had to stay awake up to 3 a.m. Then a car came to pick my father, convoy. And I was worried, like, where they were taking my father. And my father said, I have to report to duty. My dad is a police uh, officer. He works for Department of uh, Logistic, uh, Logistic and Procurement in, uh, with the police department. So he was called to report because he had, to, he had the keys of some of the cars, big cars that they owned, and uh, he had to go and allocate them to be used. So he left, he, we didn't, there were no weapons, so he only left one grenade. But now I could see people moving around with guns, you know. And now my uncle was asking, leaving us a grenade, how will that grenade help us? And he said, it shall be well. You guys stay inside. Let the lady go under the bed. Everybody under the bed, the one with the grenade, should, you will only use the grenade when somebody breaking. Don't use it in Howley. And so my uncle said, okay. So, you know, in the morning around five, six, the, the sound of the gunshot went silent for like, I think 15 minutes. So we thought everything was okay. So from because my, our house was just next to the road, we could see people, the military moving with civilians. And then in, in 15 minutes, you'll hear, you know, the gunshot, and, and later we were told that they'll go pick civilians and kill them. They will, like, they have to identify them with the, the ethnicity and kill them. 
two days later, you know, like the fire, the 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 um, the gunshots and uh, the 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 war was that bad. Like now we could see the 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 civilians mixing with the with the military guys, the soldiers. Before we go there, where was your mum in all this? Mm, my mum was in Kenya with my siblings. Um, she had twins by then, and they were still very young, so she could not bring them to South Sudan. So she had a, she had leave for like a year. So that's why that's where she was. She was in Nairobi, and me and my dad, my uncles, were in Juba. From the beginning, I thought it was a joke. You know, I thought it was just one of those clashes, inter-community clashes, and it will, it will go down. So I was so naive. I thought it was just that small. But I came to understand it on the second and the third day where we could not, if you don't have food home, there's no food. If there's no water, there's no water. And when you see in your neighbor, one of your neighbors is dead and you hear people crying, now this is where it struck me. And I understood now that seriously, this is war. And I cried. My father was not there. I was with my uncle, and he was asking me why I was crying like a baby. And I said, we, I, we used to hear these stories of the war, but I've never been in it. I've never seen it. I've never witnessed like somebody dying in my present. I've never seen someone losing so much blood while watching that trauma. So, and one of my uncles said, it's okay to cry. Let her be. And I said, now I want to go home. And it's like, what home? This is home. I said, no, I've changed my mind. I'm going back to Kenya. Nicole went back to Kenya, but after a year, returned to South Sudan, just when the 2017 war was breaking out. This time, though, she decided to stay. She tells me she came to the realization that East or West, home is best. And though she is pursuing a degree back in Kenya at the University of Nairobi, she's often in Juba and part of the Anataban or I Am Tired campaign, a community of young South Sudanese creatives who are tired of war and bloodshed in their country. The young creatives use street theatre, graffiti, murals, sculpture and poetry to foster public discussion about the issues of social justice, government accountability and transparency. You can follow the campaign online under their campaign name, Anna Taban. That's A-N-A-T-A-B-A-N, Anna Taban. Listening to the Human Interest Podcast with me, Evelyn Wambui. Before I go, I want to thank you all from whatever it is across the world that you're listening in from for all your love and support that's keeping the podcast going and growing. One of the ways you can help keep the momentum is by subscribing, liking, and sharing the podcast so more people can listen to it. And if your favorite podcast app has the option of rating and or leaving a comment, please do so so many more people can find and enjoy the podcast. If you're interested in sharing your story, don't hesitate. Drop me a quick email on the human interest podcast at gmail.com. That's the human interest podcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on the podcast's Instagram account, the human interest podcast, or on Twitter at Evelyn Wambui. That's E-V-E-L-Y-N-W-A-M-B-U-I at Evelyn Wambui. 
One last thing my husband just pointed out to me as he was listening. This is a second story about South Sudan that I've featured on the podcast. And if you're like him asking why, I guess South Sudan is a dear country to me. It was the first country I ever visited back in 2010 as a journalist to cover the secession. And I remember the excitement of South Sudanese then. My friend Jewel and many others were optimistic about what the secession from Sudan meant and the opportunities that would open up as a result. I stayed there almost three months and was engulfed in the excitement. When I went back to South Sudan in 2016 for a month, it pained me to see the trajectory the country had taken. But I guess like Nicole and many other South Sudanese, I'm optimistic that for this youngest country, these are just teething problems and that she will overcome. And with such a young, vibrant youth like Nicole, things will get better. Until next week, may the thrill of finally going home bring you joy and peace. Whether home is a place, a feeling, a person or people, a light or solitude. <laughs>